And before I ask Steve and Kathy to come up here, I just want to give you just a, uh, just a brief word of introduction. Um, mo- how many of you have been here when Steve and Kathy have been here before? So I have a sense as to, all right, I would say there's probably about half of us are remembering that we've uh, had when Steve and Kathy were last here. Steve and Kathy are missions mobilizers with the Northern Plains District and the North Central District. What I would like to do by way of introduction, because they're going to tell you a little bit, they, they literally see ministry around the world. And uh, it's fascinating in terms of how they have a sense on, on things happening. This morning during Sunday school, they took us um, via their own personal experience into Europe. They took us into the Caribbean and they took us into the Far East. All places they have been uh, in the last year or so, and of which they have their hands uh, on, the, on the fingerprint of what, uh, or, or the... Uh, heartbeat as to what God is doing there. But what I'd like you to know is we support them as um, some of our EFCA missionaries. And what we best need to understand is uh, eight, nine years ago, I don't know how long ago it was now, um, literally our missions program was going nowhere. It was just not engendering any excitement, any enthusiasm, and we knew something needed to happen. Now, if you think back on last year, you know we were like amazed by what God was doing with missions, right? We, there, there was a team that went to Vienna for the fifth year. There was a team that went to Mexico, led by Paul, uh, the first time he led a trip there. And then, to our surprise, um, uh, Trent and Jody wind up going to Nepal at the end of the year, and God is moving them out, uh, it looks like, in a permanent way to ministry in Nepal. Um, uh, Nathan Stanell went back uh, to the Far East. Kayla took her second trip to the Far East. Presently, we have um, Amber is in New Zealand, and Katja is going to be going, and she's going to wind up in the Far East. Dylan Porter and Dylan Dahl were in the mission field. Uh, let's see, Dylan was in Vienna. Dylan Dahl is going back to Vienna. Inside of a six, inside of a 12-month period, we will have had, of roughly college age, because Nathan has now graduated, we will have had college age students, uh, six, going into international cross-cultural ministry and getting exposed to that. Think about that. In addition to the other teams, this is from a place where we had nothing happening. We have to celebrate that. But Kathy and Steve have a very real part in how we got there. Because eight, nine, ten years ago, whenever it was, they came in and they started us from scratch. And, they, and I think the way you described it, Steve, is what you were able to do is kind of give us some tracks that you set out that we could begin to, to roll this thing on these tracks. All right, so and if you talk to Larry, he'll tell you, you know, all the time when we consider what God is doing... We bring it back to that Saturday morning when they came. They did a conference with us with about 18 of our people. And now as we celebrate all this mission stuff, I just want you to be aware. God has used them significantly in our midst. And this is how he's using them in other churches as they do the mobilizing thing. But they do far more than just mobilizing. So I'm going to let you come. We are blessed to have them. You guys know what you want to do, so come. Uh, he'd mentioned being in, in Haiti. Their services run for as long as three to four hours. I don't know if he's on Haitian time. He's also been to Germany, where Germans are, you know, tight on times. So I don't know if he's on German time. It's their time. All right, so that's how it is. Good to have you. I don't know if I should look at the clock or not. <laughs> I'll introduce my wife, Kathy, to open. 
Hello, good morning. It is a blessing to be here with all of you. We shared a lot in Sunday school, so thank you for those who came for that. I do want to just say personally, as far as Steve and I, and just the Lord continues to give us the strength and provision for the ministries that we have. We are in our own church about one Sunday a month on average. We're in our own bed, I don't know how many times a week, but um, I figure about a third of the year we're somewhere else. So um, that's, that's the life the Lord has given us at this time, and we just continue to pray for grace to do that. Steve handles that a little better than I do, so when you think of me, just you know, pray for that ongoing, just trusting him to go and serve as he leads us, whether it's internationally or here in the States. Uh, last year, I went through some major surgery, and it took me most of the rest of 2015 to recover, and that was a new learning experience for me, just to understand being limited and wanting to do more than I could do, so it gave me that understanding, but it was also frustrating, as we all know, when we can't, our bodies don't do what we want them to do, but I praise the Lord for renewed strength and health in that. So I've... Uh, Two different things, women and children, those are kind of on my heart. Many of you are women and children. Men are great. We couldn't survive without you. But, um, <laughs> but you know, those children up here singing, did that warm your hearts? I mean, that is so precious. Well, four weeks ago today, I was still in India. I had gone for two, a little over two weeks visiting different children's ministries because I have a new role with the child sponsorship program called Global Fingerprints. So I was visiting the ministries. One of the last ones I got to see, uh, three of us arrived at this house church. And it took us a while to get there and to find it. We finally get there. We go in. We're late. But we go into the living room of this apartment. And there are just people all over the floor. Few are sitting on chairs. They got some chairs for us because you're always, as a guest, they put you in the chairs and they wanted me to share something, so it's always like on the top of your head, what can I say to encourage them? But the children were waiting. That was the thing. The children were really waiting for us. But the children were waiting in the bedroom, and they'd been in there an hour longer because, or in a half an hour, waiting for us to come because their time had ended at 11.30, and now it's 12 o'clock. So can you imagine all these children sitting in a bedroom quietly while the parents are out in the other room? For half an hour, they're sitting there quietly. We walk in. They're on the floor. They're up on the bed. When we were done sharing with them, I had them go around and count to find out how 27 children from little ones up to mid-teenagers. So quite amazing, but such a blessing, all these little ones. And they sang for us, just like your children sing. And that's, that's, that's our world. Our world are these children, and we want children to come to know Jesus Christ and to love him and to praise him. But this house church was started because of a child who'd been born with an illness that they didn't think she would survive. The parents began to pray. They were told about Jesus. Pray to Jesus. He's the God, the true God. He's the one that heals. And she was, her life was spared. She's a teenager now. She's still on medication. But because of that, this church started. So that's pretty amazing that's why children are so wonderful, right? We see what they can do in the faith of a child and that song on the piano. Wonderful. So you walk out there, you will see a big sign, Hope for India, Global Fingerprints. I've got, this is, you can at least tell that this is what color? Yellow. Okay, you might not be able to see anything else, but Global Fingerprints, yellow. That's a child sponsorship program. I have brochures, uh, 
Reach Global started this about 10 years ago in Congo. India is one of the countries also. You can find out about how the program works. Uh, when Heather Olson has traveled to India with me and Susan Halverson from your church, they have visited and seen some of those programs, so they know what I'm talking about. And then I just to mention the women, this is one of the bags that are made by women in our Shristi, which means creation, our business there, women that we've been working with that are vulnerable to trafficking and other issues. And the children, they're also very much at risk. So to support a child is really part of prevention of human trafficking. So if you want to say, what can I do? That's one thing you can do. Buying a product is something else. And praying, too. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Well, good morning, everybody, again. And thank you for the ones who are in Sunday school. You had a chance to see some snapshots of where we've been the last number of months in in Germany in October. And then last month, I was in Haiti, and Kathy was in India. As mission mobilizers, we're in a different church three out of four Sundays a month, and we really want to help individual Christians and and churches grow to realize that God wants all of you and your church and other churches to be Great Commission Christians and Great Commission churches. So whether you're starting out with missions or taking different steps or bigger steps, that should be for all of us. So we really believe that mission work is what's outside of our church, but it's in our own communities and our own Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. So we really want to have people think about, you know, it's not about us, which so much of American culture says, but it's really about uh, Jesus and his kingdom and spreading the word of God. Because we're living in, as you know, more of a secular culture all the time. The largest group in the United States especially of young people, are called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And that what that means is when the census comes and they ask, what religion are you, they click none or check none. So that would be atheist, agnostic, or a lot of younger people have no religion at all. So we have a challenge in our culture to really show the love of Jesus Christ. So thank you for your prayers and support for us. We really mean that, and for Pastor Gary's encouraging word. Um, I have a privilege of preaching today, and I preached actually last month in Haiti a number of times, and and, uh, their services run to three to four hours all the time. They start at 6 a.m. in the morning on Sundays. I don't know why they start so early, but that's what they do. And they have worship and worship and worship and a message and then more worship and and it's wonderful, even though I didn't understand a single word what they said. It was just a great time being there. And on one evening, I went to a smaller church in the country. The people are very poor. It was just a plain brick wall, and they had a few lights down the middle, and the flowers they had up front were kind of all kind of plastic flowers. And I thought, what can I share with a church that hardly has any resources. They love Jesus, but they don't have much else. And I decided at that point to talk on the topic of prayer for them because God could use this church, and even though they're maybe never going to go anywhere like you or in other churches, but yet they can pray and they can make an eternal difference. So as I was thinking about that for them, I've decided that I want to preach on the topic, especially today, on prayer and missions 
And there are a number of things that are on my heart just in the last number of months. And even I woke up thinking about something this morning that I'm going to share with you. But I, I hope that today God will use this message to encourage you and, and to challenge all of us and that our lives will be different because of this time. Because we're mobilizers and we really want to help mobilize you for the kingdom. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the great work that you're doing here in this body. And I thank you for the ones, even this last year, that were reported who went to Vienna and who are going to Nepal and other parts around the world. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing and that you're raising people up from here. And Lord, I pray today that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and Lord, that you'd open your word to us, that we would be different people because of what we hear today. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to take a look at today, we're not going to look at just one passage, but we're going to start and we're going to look at a number of different passages. So I hope you have Bibles. There's nothing on PowerPoint here, and you don't have anything as an outline in your uh, bulletin. So I hope that doesn't you know, shake you up too much. But anyway, we're going to look at three different areas that I think are important for us today as we think about life today. But we need to look a little bit back and see what the Scripture says about um, the New Testament in the New Testament here. So, first of all, I want to look briefly, and we could spend all time on this, but I want to look briefly at the prayer life of Jesus. What can we learn from the prayer life of Jesus? Secondly, I want to look at uh, the disciples' prayer life and then some uh, scriptures that talk to, um, some epistles that talk to the New Testament church about prayer and then specific application of what is going on today in the world that we need to really be praying about some some key things. So that's kind of where we're going to go and I I think this will build and I think you'll appreciate what what we're going to see in God's word today. So the first point that I want to talk about is the prayer life of Jesus Christ. And prayers, we know, if you've read the scripture at all, you know how important prayer was for Jesus. Let's jump into Matthew uh, 14, 23. And again, we're going to look at a, a, quite a few different passages somewhat rapidly. I'm not sure how much I, time I have. If I'm supposed to be done in seven minutes, we're going to have, I'm going to have to talk three times as fast as I normally do and share half as much as what I'm going to do. So I'm not sure when I'm supposed to be done. Yeah? Oh, you go to court? Okay. Good. Okay. We're, we're good for a little while then, okay? So Matthew fourteen twenty three. What's taking place here in, the, in this chapter is that Jesus had just fed the 5,000, okay? And I'm going to start in verse 22. And immediately he made the disciples get into the the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So he's sending these 5,000 men plus women and children away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So we don't know what he prayed about. We don't know the posture of prayer. We, we know that he went to a mountain. We went, he went by himself to pray. We don't know how long he prayed, but it was a custom of Jesus to get away and to pray. And this here was especially after this great miracle of, of feeding all of these people after this great miracle. Turn with me next, if you would please, to Luke chapter 6. 
Luke chapter 6. And I'm going to jump a few verses here from verse 10 just to kind of get an introduction. Jesus is in a synagogue here, and um, there's a man with a withered hand. So that's the story. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, This is a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Okay, here you've got the religious leaders very upset at what Jesus is doing. Look what happens next. This is the verse. And it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called the disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also named as apostles. So here we see Jesus again. He'd done this miracle. He was facing opposition by religious leaders of his day. They didn't like that he was healing this man. And then Jesus goes to the mountain and spends a night in prayer. And he comes back down, and now he chooses his 12 disciples. Um, a very important decision. And then the, the scripture goes on and then lists here the different ones that um, he had actually chosen by name. Let's go over now Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Luke 11, 1. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. So again, Jesus is praying again, and when he is done, one of the disciples comes up and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we know the scripture here that he taught, known as the Lord's Prayer. Let me just read that. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And then he goes on and gives a story here of a man who uh, has friends come over and he needs some bread. So he goes to his friend and he hollers out, give me some bread. And the guy says, it's midnight, come back tomorrow. And the guy doesn't. He says, keeps hollering. And, and anyway, the story goes and the, the key verse here is verse 9, And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall knock, or find, knock, and it shall be opened to you. So in a sense, the, the, the importance of faith, of continuing to ask, continuing to seek, continuing to knock. And Jesus then goes on with his story. But he's teaching the disciples here the importance of prayer. He's talking about worship. He's talking about the kingdom coming, about praying for your daily bread, about forgiveness and dealing with temptation. Those are all things in that little prayer. But the disciples came and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he gives that great story, as I'm not reading here today, but about the one asking for those loaves of bread. So the disciples really wanted to know how to pray. Now, they didn't come to Jesus and say, a lot of different things. Lord teaches about this or whatever these things are. But specifically, they came and asked him, teach us how to pray. Let's go on here to Acts chapter 1. Now what's taken place, and again, I'm sorry that I'm going fast, but I want to get 
through this here, and you can kind of see where it's building up. Now we're talking about the prayer life of the disciples. You know, in the first part of Acts chapter 1, we have where Jesus gives, uh, again, the kind of the, the great commission of Acts, but then he ascends to heaven. And, and the angels are there and, you know, tells the disciples, well, why are you looking up? As he goes up, he's so he's going to come back again someday. But look what happens here after that in verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So now you have some of Jesus' own family, his half-brothers who were believers here, And the scripture tells about, actually, in the next verse, that there's 120 people that are gathered for prayer. So in in the whole line of history here, we have the resurrection of Jesus, you have the ascension of Jesus, and now all of these people are gathered together praying. And then what happens in the first part of of Acts 2, which we're not going to talk about today, but... Uh, the Holy Spirit comes, and we know that as Pentecost, but they're praying during all of this time. And the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter now is filled with the Spirit. And if you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see what happens after this. So you, have, you go from a group of 120 people, and all of a sudden you have now 3,000 brand new converts that are coming in. Now, what's the size of New Folden? Huh? 368? Seems like there's more than that. Of course, you guys come from other places, right? You drive in. So you're not all new Fulden people, but you're wherever you're from. But okay. But let's say you had 10 times the population of New Fulden come to church next Sunday. What would you do? Well, you'd rejoice and say, we better get some more eggs and stuff for breakfast, right? Okay. But, but take a look here. So all of a sudden, you, you go from 120 people, all of a sudden you add 3,000 people after Peter's sermon. What do they do? What do you do with, a, with brand new 3,000 people? Well, take a look at verse 42. And this is what they were doing, because verse 41 tells that they added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, they were continually vo- devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You've probably heard a lot of sermons about that. Four key ingredients to really to help young Christians grow in their faith. But one of the four here is prayer. They're teaching the importance of young believers, the importance of prayer. I just want you to think about that because, again, the apostles, they watched Jesus. They learned what he said about prayer. They began to pray continually. They were praying after the ascension and then before Pentecost. And now this is one of the aspects of prayer that was very key for this early church. Turn over to chapter 4 as we just take a look there briefly. We're not going to look at all of these verses, but uh, here's a prayer where there's some, some threats against the, the believers. And, you know, they're, they're just being threatened to keep quiet. And look what they say. And I'm going to just jump in the middle of this again in verse Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bond servants may speak thy word with all boldness. And while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. 
And look what happens in the next verse, 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So they're really praying for boldness. You know, they weren't praying to quiet down their persecutors, the people against them, but they were praying for boldness, and, and the Lord really answered that. Turn next, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And the story here is uh, we're introduced to Herod. And Herod now, in verse 2 of Acts 12, has James, the brother of John, put to death. And, And it pleased the Jews, we see, and he arrested Peter, in the days of unleavened bread, and he, in verse 4, he put him in prison. And look what happens in verse 5. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now, I don't know if they were praying fervently uh, in verse 2 for James. I don't know if, if that happened. I assume it they were. But for some reason, uh, James was put to death. And Peter ended up living. Remember the angel came in and and let him out, and he thought he was like in a dream or trance. All of a sudden he stands out and says, well, I'm out. And it's kind of a a great story there, what what takes place. Then turn over to chapter 13. I mean, we could spend a whole sermon on each one of these, but that isn't my purpose today. Uh, Chapter 13 what happens um, after the death of Stephen is that there's persecution in Jerusalem and the church flees. In a sense, they're leaving and, and they're going to a lot of different places. And one of the places where they end up going preaching about Jesus is in the city of Antioch. And many people hear the gospel and they believe in Jesus. And, and it's a wonderful thing. Barnabas comes and then he goes and gets Saul, who we also know as Apostle Paul, and he comes and they, they teach all of these believers for a year. And it says they're first called Christians here in Antioch. Now what's taking place in chapter 13 is the leaders of the church are together. We see that in Acts uh, 13.1. Take a look there. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucian of Cyrene, Manahan, who is brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And look at verse 2 and 3 here. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I don't know if they were, I don't know how long this ministering and worship of the Lord was, um, but it was pleasing to God what was ever taking place here. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to them, but somehow the Holy Spirit was speaking to them and set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I have to tell you, back when I was a college student a number of years ago, I was in Moorhead, Minnesota, and there was a small evangelical free church on the north side of the city called Moorhead Free. It doesn't exist anymore. But they had a guest speaker And I was probably one year old in the Lord, and I was going to this evangelical free church. I don't remember the speaker's name. I don't remember what he preached about. But what I remember is what happened at the end of the service. What he did at the end of the service was, 
and I've hardly ever seen this in any church. I really haven't. But he gave an altar call, not for salvation, but an, but an, but a, an altar call for Christian service. Now, I was a young believer, and I was kind of in the back row or toward the back of this small church. Probably 60 to 75 people were there. And he gave an altar call, and, and that's when they still had the hymns and all that. And on the last hymn that morning, on the third verse, I sensed God talking to me, saying, I want you to serve me. So here, I had been planning on a business career, on doing retail, and I enjoyed that. I was in college and all that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I'm walking to the front of this church. There were a number of other people in the front of that church that day, and I committed my life to Christian service. When I walked in church that morning, I had no idea that I was... I just wasn't thinking at all about Christian service. I really wasn't. Nobody had ever talked to me about it. I had never thought about it. But that day, I really sensed God's call. I didn't hear the pastor say, you are supposed to come up. He didn't say anything like that. But it was God's Holy Spirit that prompted me, and I went up there. And it wasn't like to be a missionary or pastor, youth worker, all that. It was just a a call, a vocational call to service. And I went up. And when I walked out of that church that morning, I knew I had a different direction of life. Now, for some people, it might be very gradual. Some people might fight that kind of thing. Other people, it might be very clear right when they're saved, they know they're going to be a pastor or missionary or whatever. But for me, it was a call, and I didn't know what that meant. So actually, the day after I graduated from college, I drove to Wisconsin and met with 13 pastors. I was scared to death. Well, not literally death, but scared. I met with them for an hour, and they offered me a job as a youth director. I did that for six years in a county youth organization. Then I went to seminary. Then I pastored churches, and I ended up going being a missionary and all those different kinds of things. But all went back to that call. And we never know how those things might happen. Matthew 28, Jesus says, and we're not going to look there, but Jesus says, pray for laborers. For the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Somebody, I think what's been happening in this church is somebody's been praying for some of you to go to the mission field. I think that's kind of what's been happening, which has been kind of cool. Let's go on. Let's look third here at the prayer life of some of the New Testament believers what are they telling us to do? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.17. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We're still okay with the clock. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Very simple little verse. Pray without ceasing. So prayer is supposed to be a part of our lives, something that we're supposed to be doing. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified Uh, just as it did also with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. So here Paul is praying that the word of God would spread rapidly and be glorified, and that asking for prayer for himself. And then in 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all, then I urge that petitions and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So, I mean, there's over 7 billion billion people in the world today. 
How can we pray for everybody? Well, we can't. We don't know everybody. But we can pray for cities. We can pray for people groups. We can pray like for the work that Kathy's involved in with the work with the people who are coming out of the trafficking situations. We can pray for organizations who are dealing with that kind of stuff. Well, the application part now. What should we do with all of this information about prayer? I think there's some things that are really important for us to keep in mind these days. And maybe you're already doing this, and if you are, I applaud you. If you're not, I really want to encourage you to think about it. Number one, I think we should pray, we should be praying, not just the spiritual leaders, but all of us, from time to time for the persecuted church. For example, there's a book. I'm going to do a, two book plugs today here. I don't often do book plugs, but this just came out. It was just published March 1st by, from Voice of the Martyrs. You can get it on Amazon. It's called I Am N. It, I just got it a week ago. I haven't read it yet. But it's a lot of stories about Christians who are being persecuted around the world, and we need to be aware of what's going on. The subtitle here is Inspiring Stories of Christians Facing Islamic Extremists. It's called I Am N. And normally I don't like to promote books I haven't read, but I think this would be a good one for you to consider. Another uh, book is called Killing Christians by Tom Doyle. Let me just read one little paragraph from one of the chapters of his book. Here's what one man said. I used to think I lived a life of sacrifice, but that changed when the war broke out. What I thought was sacrifice was actually just inconvenience. Once we bought the graveyard, we gave up our rights to live as we pleased. We consigned ourselves to a violent death, whether a sudden bullet in the brain, beheading, or a tortuous crucifixion. Pray for us in Syria, but please do not feel bad for us. We have never been so free, and even though we are willing to die, our graveyard is still empty. What happened is this group of believers in one city in Syria, it was such a difficult time that they said, well, we're going to take some of our money and we're going to buy a graveyard, so we have a graveyard for ourselves. And when they wrote this, none of them had died yet. Um, We need to be praying for the persecuted church. What they ask for, first of all, is to pray for strength for them and for their witness, and secondly, to pray for the ones who are persecuting them. Because what's happening, and one story of what we heard is that in one situation, one man was being interrogated. He was supposed to, he was sitting in front of his interrogator, and the interrogator said, I've got a headache. I can't really talk to you today. Go back to your cell and the Christian said, well, let me pray for you. And the guy didn't really want him to, but then the guy admitted that he'd been having dreams and visions of Jesus appearing to him at night. This is a persecutor, and he'd not made a decision for Christ yet. So we need to be praying for the believers uh, for what they're dealing with. Pray for your missionaries, all the different ones that you support as a church and individually. Pray that God would use them, protect them, be fruitful, Pray for refugees. Today, there's 19 million refugees in the world. 
45 million displaced persons internally, meaning that they're still within their own country. That's more than World War II. Just this last week, I heard that with the refugees going through Greece, more and more of them are becoming followers of Jesus because they're being given Bibles. They've lost everything. They don't have hope. But Christians are coming and showing them favor and love and dignity, giving them food and clothing and Bibles, and they're becoming followers of Jesus. In Lebanon, um, just, what is it, Kathy, two weeks ago now? Um, that the Free Church of Lebanon is working with refugees there, and they've just started a global fingerprint program. These are children of refugees. And one thing that you could do if you want, you can go online, globalfingerprints.org, and you can see children who are, from, who are actually Syrian refugees, but they're in Lebanon, and they're now being sponsored through the Free Church in Lebanon, and you can help finance that through child sponsorship. That could be something you might want to consider doing. I was at a pastor cluster meeting this last week, and one pastor goes to Asia fairly regular and trains people in Thailand. And his one prayer request was, and this is what I heard this morning, he says, pray for 16 Laotian families in the country of Laos, it's still communist, that they become believers in their village, and the, the mayor and the political religious leaders are not too happy about it, and they're threatening these families. They've taken their their fields away, their, their, um, their one-acre farms, and now these people are living in a larger city and, and want protection. So pray for believers in Laos that God would protect these 16 different families. That's just something that's actually going on right now. You know, it's a wonderful time to be alive because the Church of Jesus Christ is really growing the fastest-growing church in the world today, and you might be surprised by this because you never hear it in the news, is in Iran. They're estimated 1.5 million to 2 million followers of Jesus in Iran today. It's all an underground church, by the way. The country that's the most severe with persecution against Christians is North Korea, and it's very difficult to be a follower of Jesus there. But what's happening is the word of God is going forth. There's a organization called Sat7, and everybody in the Middle East has satellite dishes. They can maybe get hundreds of channels, but five of those channels are Christian. And Sat7 broadcasts Christian uh, children's programs in the Middle East. In Saudi Arabia, one out of four families allows their kids to watch Christian children's programming. Isn't that cool? I mean, you think about that. They're estimated that in Saudi Arabia today, there's maybe 10,000 believers. It's a total underground church. Jesus, what I'm saying is Jesus is building his church around the world. Wonderful things are happening. People are having dreams and visions. The ones who are the persecutors are coming to faith in Christ, some of them. Some of the ISIS terrorists, I haven't heard of many, but a few are becoming followers of Jesus. Um, we need to be praying for the expansion of God's kingdom these days. Um, I'm hoping that in October, we're just kind of getting this promoted. We're not even promoting, we're just kind of trying to get it organized. 
I'm hoping we can go to Thailand in October to visit some of the anti-trafficking ministry that's part of Kathy's work with Asian Justice Initiatives. We haven't even started promoting it yet. We don't even know if it's going to happen. We don't know the dates or prices. But if you're at all interested in Thailand and that ministry, you can talk to me after the service. It's a wonderful time to be alive, but I really believe that Jesus is calling his church to pray. And as we close my time, I know there's a closing hymn here, but I'd like you to just pray quietly and say, Lord, what do you want me to do as an individual? What do you want maybe our family to do? What about our church or community? What are we supposed to obey from what we've heard on these scriptures today? Maybe God will never lead you away from this part of Minnesota or wherever you're from. But you can still have an impact worldwide for eternity because of the prayers that you do. And I hope that will encourage you, will empower you, will embolden you in prayer that we can really make a difference and see God's world changed. Let's pray. Lord, we admit that we really don't know much about prayer. We're in a school of prayer, and all our life we learn more about it. And that's how I feel. And, Lord, there are so many needs. And I pray that, Lord, for myself and for each person here, that you'd help us to grow in prayer. Lord, may we remember the refugees. May we remember the persecuted church. May we remember the missionaries who are serving you. May we remember the growth of your church in very difficult places. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And I pray that you'd encourage us, empower us, and embolden us in prayer for your glory. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen.